Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Hey everyone, how's it going? It's another week and another episode of Good Movie Monday. I hope you're well. For newcomers to the show, we are a weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. Thanks for swinging by. It's a pleasure to have you here. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Be sure to subscribe and add us to your weekly rotation. And our loyal listeners, well, a big warm hug to all of you. Hope you've had a great week, and thanks for sticking with us. The other voice you're about to hear is that of our tenacious co-host, Ben Halwig. G'day, mate. How are you going this week? Good, mate. How are you? Oh, not too bad. A little bit tired, but you know. Well, it is six o'clock in the morning, so that's understandable. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're calling this episode Jarrett Garn Returns because returning to the show is Jarrett Garn. Hey, dude, how are you? Very good, guys. How are you uh, doing there? Yeah, good. It's good to have you back. It's great to be back. I mean, I've been listening to you guys for... Well, I mean, I'm on the show every week, but obviously not there physically with you. Not that you're physically together at the moment, but... I am listening to you guys, and I'm listening to you as soon as the show drops, generally between 5 to 6 a.m. on a Monday. Uh, yes, as I get a coffee and then take a giant shit afterwards. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people do listen to us at that time. I was actually quite taken aback by some of the messages. When, when they're taking a shit or? <laughs> I was once told by a woman that my voice has a laxative effect. So uh, it's all your talk, Benjamin, of um, bathrooms. Like, you know, you're taking a bathroom break when Mick Garris is on the show. And then I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking to myself, maybe I should get in on that act. It's, it's all this dairy I'm eating. Fucking yeah. lockdown. Maybe next week we should record from the shitter. That's great. Great acoustics. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and for those newcomers who are who have joined the show, you might be wondering what the hell is going on here. Anyway, Jared is the guy who presents our weekly PE class, and that means physical entertainment. He brings us the lowdown on what's been released on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD, and we're going to get some of that good stuff out of him in a few moments' time. <laughs> <laughs> Movie news, that is. Uh, once again, um, Jared is from Monster Pictures and Monster Fest. He co-hosted the previous podcast for us at fakeshamp.net, which you can all find and listen to by clicking the podcast tab on our website so hang with us for the next hour or however long this episode wants to go for uh, we have a knack of running over time coming up we have movie news from guillermo at screen realm a contentious segment from those guys at uh, bonehead weekly and a movie review from adam ross the chairman of the australian film critics association but all right guys uh let's talk some movie news um well, I say movie news, but this is just a part of the show that we pat, we pat out, really, because Guillermo takes care of all that stuff. Legendary cinematographer Michael Chapman passed away at the age of 84 last week. Uh, some of his credits include Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Lost Boys and The Fugitive, amongst many more, a titan of his craft. Someone always dies on this show, guys. Yeah, yeah, I was I was literally waiting for your segue when you said movie news. I'm like, it's celebrity deaths, isn't it? It's not movie <laughs> news, it's celebrity deaths. 
I'm going to change that on the run sheet to celebrity death segment. Celebrity death. And we do like it when they when they choose to die before Friday. Yes. Uh, rather than <laughs> after Monday. Yeah. Straight after yeah. Monday, so we can cover it uh, without being late. <laughs> so thank you to all the celebrities, uh, past and uh, in the future, for uh, timing your death appropriately. Damn straight. <laughs> we we salute you all. Um, other news that Jarrett does not care about. Uh, Avatar 2 finished shooting. Avatar 3 is 95% complete. But does anybody give a shit? Surely not. not really. Jarrett, I mean, all, all Jarrett wants is the True Lies on a better format. True Lies on 4K. <laughs> Look, I'll settle for Blu-ray. I'll settle for Blu-ray. <laughs> but yeah, like, honestly, I, they've been shooting Avatar for 2 for how long? Like, I mean, Ben and I were in New Zealand last year and all the crews... Uh, you know, were on break for like a couple days to a week, so they were rushing out to shoot indie projects because they had been pretty much locked on Avatar 2 for six months or something. It's just, I don't even, I don't even see when it's scheduled for release, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, sure. Avatar, it was Avatar 2 and Cowboy Bebop, which I haven't heard anything about either. That's right. But I believe Cowboy Bebop was, um, although Studio was involved, I believe it may have been for Netflix. So, right. Who knows? That could happen any day. You know, look at, look at Borat yes. 2. You know, you can drop <laughs> yeah. a movie three weeks before, and if it's going to a streamer, you don't need to do too much publicity in this day and age. Yeah. That is true, but perhaps we've spent uh, too much time talking about Avatar then. Well, <laughs> uh, the other bit of useless information is that Henry Cavill has thrown his hat into the ring for the casting of the next James Bond, and I only mention that because 007's become something of a running gag on the show. So... Yeah. Thoughts on you that? Can't, you can't do any worse than the last four people that have played James Bond. <laughs> hey, 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 Timothy Dalton, yeah, man. Uh, you know, cut that guy some slack. You know, yeah. Keith's eye is twitching so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him last Friday and he said to me, he goes, I can't wait to come back on the show for that Bond episode. <laughs> did either of you guys, did either of you guys catch up with uh, Enola Holmes on, uh, on Netflix? Netflix? I did. I, like, I gave it a watch, and Henry Cavill's in that, and he really does nothing except occasionally <laughs> raise the eyebrow. He's playing Sherlock Holmes, and he, like, every now and then, an eyebrow goes up, a, yeah, a one but, line of dialogue, and then. But he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to be Sherlock Holmes because this is a, a female driven story. Like, you know, he didn't want to overshadow. The sister. Oh no! Look, I t- look. I mean, it's not. It's not. He didn't write his own dialogue. It's not. It's not his fault. But he's like, why bother getting? Why get someone who's completely against type for for Sherlock Holmes <laughs> in the first place, and then allow him to do nothing? Are you? Like, are nothing. you sure though? Though this isn't like a you know a producer's cut. Then there is like a director's cut out there, and it's actually got the full performance. <laughs> and the one that's made it to Netflix is a digitally removed performance. Like they've actually yeah. physically removed all the physicality from his face and from his the tone in his voice, a la while they um, were... Zack Snyder's Justice. I was going to say, yeah, while they were removing the mustache. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say that too. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I think I think that padded a few minutes very nicely, boys. Um, so, Jarrett, maybe you want to reel off some of this week's new release titles. For oh, us. Before you do that, I just want to say a, a woman once called me padding. I'll just uh, drop that in there. Uh... <laughs> Actually, come to think of it, before we talk about that, Jared, do you want to tell mm. us a little about the Little Monsters Blu-ray? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Little Monsters has just dropped on Blu-ray in the United States through Lionsgate's sub-label Vestron Video Collector Series. Of course, we all grew up with Vestron Video. It was the label to put out Chopping Mall, the Jim Wynorski classic. 
Uh, I feel that we're going to hear Jim Wynorski's name again in this program today. <laughs> uh, and then we've also got, you know, classics like Blood Diner. We did an entire podcast about that many years back on fakeshemp.net. Anyway, the list goes on. So it was a real honour to come on board and do the audio commentary for the 1989 classic Little Monsters with Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. And now it's actually going to get a release in the UK at the end of October also. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to think that, you know, uh, this guy's nerdy voice talking about a childhood favourite film of his, uh, you know, is, is out there. And I've been listening to people do reviews of it. Like there's some people on YouTube doing reviews. There's one guy who hated the movie. Um, has always hated the movie, but thought he'd give it a second chance, a la like me, you know, with other movies, of course. And uh, he, then he goes through the special features, and I'm like, oh, my God, wait till he gets to the commentary, because this guy really hates the movie. And he, he was pretty kind. He's like, I listened to half an hour of the commentary. It was a pretty good commentary, but I hate the movie, so I couldn't listen to more of it. Um, well, but, yeah, he was, he was quite gentle on it. And then I think most of the other uh, reviews I've read so far have been pretty good, except the one dude that said, really informative commentary when the guy's not talking about his own memories uh, and interjecting himself <laughs> into the commentary and all this sort of thing. I'm like, that's what this guy does. <laughs> that's right. what I do. We did an entire podcast about it where we, we talk about our memories of seeing a film for the first time and, and the connection we have to said films. But, yeah, it was a really cool experience. And, I mean, well, I recorded um, that some time ago. Yeah, it's really odd because they're the criticisms we get whenever you're on the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, congratulations on that one, dude. Thank That's you. awesome. That's and awesome. it must also be said that Jim Wynorski has become the fabric that binds us on this show, thanks to Pam. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Where would we be without Jim and Albert? <laughs> when are you going to get him on? Yeah. And can I just say that one time, one time I injected myself into a woman? <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I say that? <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> PE class, PE class. PE class. Okay, so this week on PE class, we've actually got a few titles coming out on Home Entertainment, unlike last week, where I think I said that they couldn't even shit out a Danny Trejo direct-to-DVD film. Well, this week, there's plenty of new content hitting Home Entertainment. We've got Defiant Screen Entertainment. They're actually releasing a film called Mortal, which is a sort of Norwegian mythology film that stars Nat Wolf. Now, Nat Wolf's not the one from Hereditary. He's his brother. So that, that guy, you know, the one from Jumanji. The one from The Kill Team. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And he's I think he's done that bit of TV recently. In fact, he's in the upcoming Stand miniseries. It's going to be on CBS All Interactive at the end of the year. Who knows what on in Australia. He's in this new movie, and it's directed by Andre Overdahl, which I had no idea that he had made another film post Scary, uh, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But he has. And it's headed straight to home entertainment next week, straight to DVD. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I'm quite keen to check it out. I'm a big fan of Andre's work. I mean, Autopsy of Jane Doe was great, as was Troll Hunter as well. Uh, so yeah. that's pretty exciting. Then Disney, I mentioned last week, Disney have Home Alone and Hocus Pocus coming out on 4K. Pretty exciting. I've got both pre-ordered. Then Roadshow are actually going to be releasing another Warner title before who knows what's happening with that Warner distribution deal at this point in time. But regardless, they're getting a couple Warner catalogue titles out before we know what's going on. So... We're going to see 300. Zack Snyder's 300 is going to hit 4K. Now, this film was shot on 35mm, but it was finished at a 2K DI. So it does mean they're upscaling a bit to 4K, but it's going to be have HDR, so it's going to really augment the colours. It's also got a newly mixed Dolby Atmos track. I'm not a massive fan of this movie, but I am a massive fan of Dolby Atmos and 4K. So like a sucker, I'll probably buy it if I can pick it up for 20 bucks, <laughs> And it's 25 retail, so... Yeah, and then there's another film that's coming out on Home Entertainment, only on DVD from Roadshow called We Summon the Darkness. Now, I haven't seen this one, but my uh, 
My friend Ben Helwig's seen it. It's got Johnny Knoxville and it's from the director of My Friend Dharma. And you said it was pretty good, yeah? Uh, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Did it have Alexandria Daddario in it as well? It does. It does. It's a, it's a, um, it's a kind of a, like a cult, cult kind of, kind of movie, but the cult is really shit. Oh, uh, Johnny Knoxville <laughs> yeah. is pretty good, but, but there's, there's not enough victims for the, for the killings. And it's, it's just a pretty, you know, I thought it was just a bit of a week. It started off strong, but it was just a bit of a week, a week yeah. entry into that kind of, you know, um, teen, very, very similar to kind of the babysitter and the second babysitter right. kind of kind of film, but but both of those were hopefully thought, more like the first and the better. second, though. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. No, if it's no. like the second, I'm never looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, can I just touch on that for a second? Our good friend um, from Screen Realm talking about the director of the babysitter films, MCG. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not stirring shit, but I thought it was funny because because there is that sort of age difference. He hasn't come from that background of when things like McG maybe were considered cool, maybe not in our universe, but some in someone's universe in in that era. But he's coming at it from a very sort of like, oh, maybe his name is pronounced MCG. <laughs> well, I mean the 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 C is a lowercase C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You got, only got to look at that. He's heard of McDonald's, right? Never look at his films. With the exception of Babysitter and the original Charlie's Angels, that was all right. Hey, maybe it's that crazy accent. Yeah, it could be. Now, I don't want to dwell on that. Sorry, buddy. Um, also <laughs> coming out from Umbrella Entertainment, they've got they've got a few releases out, but I'm only obviously going to talk about the movies. So they've got Depraved coming out, which is the Larry Fessenden film. And Ben actually spoke to Larry about the movie, and we've got an interview with Larry coming out on the Monster Fest site next week. Now, tell us a little, it's a reimagining of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a contemporary reimagining. Anything more you want to add about that one, Benjamin? Yeah, it's a, look, it's a, it's a, it's a really good film. I'm not really a Frankenstein guy, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a, um, it's kind of like the, rather than lightning, it's pharmaceuticals that kind of are, are responsible for bringing the, uh, the parts of the, the, the monster kind of back. But um, in this one, funnily enough, I think the Frankenstein character, the doctor character takes a bit of a backseat. Uh, in terms of being the kind of major antagonist or protagonist of the of the film, to the uh, the shady financial uh, backers in the film, which is a, a, a really interesting element uh, of this one, uh, and it's really good. Like the cinematography is amazing. He manages to steal some amazing shots inside the Met uh, in New York and a whole bunch of like different places and uh, and stuff. It's really um, it's really well put together. Yeah, he's not a he's not a Frankenstein kind of guy. He's more of a Frankenhooker kind Frank of guy. Frankenhooker, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. One thing I did want to ask Benjamin because I actually haven't seen this film yet is uh, now, am I right in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro? Was that directed by Was that directed by Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, now that featured Robert De Niro's penis. <laughs> it had it had Robert De Niro's member in it. Does this have right. any members in it? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, boy, I don't, th- I don't think so. It would come close a couple of times. There's some great, some great kind of medical horror stuff right, in right. there, and a little, and there's a little kind of. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a tribute to uh, Empire Strikes Back, where um, he's attaching the hand, and they're trying to, they're figuring out how to get it to work, and they're pulling all the veins in the, in the wrist, just like oh, he yeah. does with and, the robot like, hand. Like in... the Terminator as well, I think. He does that yeah. in the Terminator as well. In the Terminator, um, yeah, where he's like pulling all the mechanics. 
So, ladies, no confirmation whether there's any dicks in this one. Ben can neither no. confirm nor deny the dick. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't get to use it in any way. Oh, okay, he doesn't get to shame. use it in the film. I and think then, he. No, he does. He does. He, he, there's, some, there's some kind of um, uh, uh, feeling. There's some, right, there's some right. groping. Like he does rub up against some people. He does in the subway. Them. In the no, funnily enough, in his in his loft apartment. Oh, okay. Fair uh, enough. Well, he's a class. It's, it's it's set in New York. I'm assuming then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course it is. Oh, yeah, because you mentioned the Met earlier. Okay, so the only other release that's coming out that's a movie through Umbrella this week. There might be another one, but the only one I'm going to talk about is The Invisible Man Returns, which is like the third role for Vincent Price and his first official horror movie as well. So that one's hitting home entertainment. And I don't know if you know the story of The Invisible Man Returns, but it's the brother of the scientist from The Invisible Man Returns and he takes the serum and then uh, he's accused of killing his brother and he's being hunted and he's got to find the the cure for invisibility before he goes mad and find the killer of his brother. And it's actually really, really cool. It's one of the better sequels, universal sequels to the classic monster Mm. movies. So... Yeah, it's coming out on DVD, which is exciting. And there's a Boris Karloff collection coming out as well, which is a multi-film pack. But So, yeah, it's a pretty good week for home entertainment. Some new stuff, some old stuff, and some stuff. Thank God. You know, it's been a dry spell for home entertainment recently, so it's good to actually have some stuff out on the shelves. Not that we in Victoria can physically visit the stores to buy them, but we can certainly buy them online and wait for the postman to come and deliver our goodies. It was really hilarious. Reminded a lot of me. I borrowed my father's car once. What? Just kidding, Dad. I have had some wild nights before, but nothing like this. Woo! Brings back memories, like first aids. Hi, how you doing? Our kids would never do anything like that. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Something. The theater should pay us out seatbelts. Rated PG-13. Now playing at theaters everywhere. Of course, uh, Jarrett's return means that we have a shameless uh, way to tie in a thread to a conversation about something that's kind of ridiculous. So we're going to talk about <laughs> movies that are sequels with returns in the title. Uh, I don't think there's any other podcast doing that. So <laughs> Yeah, it's a first. I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I've never heard this topic. <laughs> I mean, it's there's... almost as if no thought had gone into it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've spent a week, I've, I've spent a week on this. I said to you, mate, Jarrett is returning. We've got to talk about return movies. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are, like, particularly from the 80s, there are countless movies out there with return or returns in the title, and I will be curious to know which ones you guys have picked out. So I'm going to throw to you... Uh, actually, I'm going to throw one in the ring first, and, and we'll see what happens then. Um, Jarrett, I reckon I know what you've chosen. I reckon, at I, least... I reckon both of you know what I've chosen, but I've, I, had, I haven't. But I'm still going to talk about that somehow. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm. I'll go first. I'm going to go against character here, and um, I'm going to ignore my gut instincts to go with sort of wicked cult movies and things like that. So I'm going to go down the superhero path, and I'm going to drop in Superman Returns into the conversation, which is the direct sequel to Superman One and Two, the the Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve films. Aside from like the two obvious Hollywood creeps that are involved you know you're brian singer and you're kevin spacey i think this and, is... and brett ratner because brett ratner brett was originally ratner. attached and he might have <laughs> rat pack might have produced it as well so it's three creeps you know what they say three creeps are better than one 
Yeah, well, now you've made me feel like the fourth creep for enjoying this one so much. <laughs> I think it's a great film. I never really understood why it was savaged upon release. Um, I, think, I think that's because it was pretty bad, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, come on. I think Brandon Routh is excellent. I think he nailed the Christopher Reeve mannerisms. Uh, I think the story and the production designs are fantastic. I think Kevin Spacey was an excellent Lex Luthor, um, obviously stepping into Gene Hackman's shoes, which are very big shoes to fill. Mm. I was going to ask you what you guys think of this one, but clearly Ben has established a, a <laughs> deep-seated hatred. I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't go that far because that would require me to think about it on uh, <laughs> lonely, cold, lonely nights. Uh, I saw this movie at the cinema. I meet. I thought to myself, "This is a bit shit," and I have since then. Literally, the only time I have sold, I've thought about that. This film is one time on eBay. I sold a, <laughs> I think it was a, a DVD to a guy who worked at Animal Logic. And when I looked up what Animal Logic did, they did this, the eye special effects in uh, where he shoots the bullet into the eye in uh, Superman Returns. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And until you brought it up just now, <laughs> not thought well, about memory. it. As Jarrett would know, in, in our original uh, fake shemp den slash studio, I had two posters of Superman sure. Returns on the wall. Uh, I, I really, really dig it. I mean, it came before the whole MCU and uh, DC universes were established and maybe it came at the wrong time. I don't know, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I admittedly, I have not seen it since it played in cinemas and I, I wasn't a fan of the film when I saw it in cinemas, but I've never been a massive fan of Superman, the franchise regardless. Um, yep. But when Man of Steel came out uh, and obviously Superman versus Batman, I didn't like either of those either, but having seen those, I think I enjoyed uh, Superman Returns more, but I do own it. It's in a box set somewhere, so I've been meaning to rewatch it because I've heard that it really ties in well with the first four Superman films. It has that very similar sort of, you know, comic sort of nature about it. It doesn't. Well, have it is. It is DC a direct EU. sequel. EU. Yeah. Right. Look, I will. To the I will say pace. that. To the, <laughs> yeah, to the nuclear one <laughs> with Nuclear Man or whatever his name is. I have to say, I will couch my dislike for this film by saying that I do not like any of the Superman films. I thought the Richard Donner ones were ordinary to say the least. I thought one and two aren't two films, they're one film. Like the, the movie literally ends halfway through the second act. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've I've ever seen in a, in a film that people love. Like it it just it it strikes me as is incredibly odd. Superman um, three is incredibly odd with Richard Pryor. Like who hires someone <laughs> Richard Pryor, to do yeah. a film like Superman three? That's like, oh sorry, like Richard Pryor to do a film like that if he can't swear, can't do Richard Pryor sort of stuff. Um, that's true. And a, he's a computer whiz in it. Right? Yeah, it's such <laughs> a bizarre movie, and you can tell he's coked up to the nines. Uh, you know, throughout the picture, it's an odd beast. Yeah, I think that explains why Superman Returns sort of jumps off number two and ignores number yeah. three and four yeah. <laughs> but um jared would you like to uh talk about cocoon the return now i knew <laughs> see i knew you guys would think that i was going to talk about daniel petrie's 1988 classic sequel hang on before you, before cocoon. you go any further so you're not going to no you're going <laughs> to talk about halloween four no the return of michael myers no that was one of the most disappointing films of my childhood yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I was I was way off. And I'm not even going to talk about Return of the Living Dead or Return of the Living Dead Part Two from 1988, directed by um, Ken Weeborn, who directed uh, Meatballs Part Two. Also, he's a Part Two kind of guy. Um, no, I'm going to talk about Return to Horror High from 1987. Now, do you remember that one? 
has great yeah. artwork. Very similar cheerleader camp has the uh, skeleton cheerleader on the front, and uh, it it has George Clooney in one of his first film appearances. It's one of those films that's one of my favorite type of films. It's a film about the making, making a movie within a movie about a true life event, and then that true life event sort of spiraling or copycat happening again. In this instance. Uh, killer in a high school and slowly taking out the film crew as the film goes and it's just fun it's a comedy horror it's from 1987 it's distributed by new world and it's very much tongue-in-cheek like that you know re- was it return of the killer tomatoes that was around that with same time george clooney with george, with george clooney, clooney. Yeah. exactly well, uh, for a second there i thought you were talking movie. about scream 4 oh, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> was that the one with jada pinkett smith and she's in the movies watching stab and and was that stab scream and the, two? That's three, I can't, I number know. two. I think number that's two. Blue, yeah. They've all blurred. They all... I still remember the though, that Leslie scene, Nielsen. scary movie where the dildo goes, oh, the dick goes through the yeah. glory hole in the bathroom and pokes someone <laughs> yeah. in the ear. <laughs> but, mate, mate, big kudos for you to you for bringing up Scream because that's going to be mentioned later in the show. So, congrats. Oh, cool. There you go. Oh, good, good segue, is Gene, man. Is Gene Hackman in that one, is he? I, I missed it. <laughs> he might, well, he, maybe he's in Scream 5. It could be his return to acting it following Welcome yeah. to Moose Point. Uh, Mooseport, sorry, yeah. which I have seen, which we will discuss later, possibly. Who knows? Ben, but yeah, that's, what do that's you got? me. That's me. That's you. <laughs> well, I think um, you've already alluded pretty much to what I'm going to be It's Jim Wynorski, uh, isn't it? It's got it Heather Locklear is. in it. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, it is uh, the return of Swamp Thing. <laughs> Uh, with uh, Heather Locklear and Louis Jordan, who Jim Wynorski absolutely hated. And Sarah Douglas pops up in this one. And uh, Monique Gabrielle, who I completely forgot was in it. And two of the coolest kids in cinema since The Goonies turn up in this film. There's a black kid and a fat ginger. Uh, and they're just this kind of like, not even a B story. It's like a C story of them trying to steal their dad's Playboy magazines. Uh, while their parents are out at bingo night and then getting uh, attacked by uh, these mutant, I don't know what they are. They look like kind of like mutant elephants, but then, but they're not. Uh, it, it's really weird. And it's, it's very, it's very like a lot of it, funnily enough, seems to be a very kind of Dr. Moroe type, uh, type movie where he's experimenting on uh, merging Louis Jordan's the crazy scientist. He's merging men with elephants and with cockroaches and, uh, you know, four arsed. Uh, beings just like out of South Park. It's very and the beginning, the opening of the film. There's a Southern Comfort kind of ripoff where there, there's like some National Guard kind of DEA agents wandering through the swamp before they get attacked by uh, one of these weird elephant monster things. The poster art is almost Southern Comfort. Mm, it is, yeah, yeah it's very, uh, very similar, yeah. And um, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic film. Like very, like I, to be honest with you. And I'm admitting this uh, for the first time on uh, on national radio, <laughs> aka this podcast. I have never seen sw- the original Swamp Thing. I've only one. seen the return of. There's only uh, only one cut of that movie to watch, though the international European cut, yeah. not the US theatrical cut. I've got the booby cut. Yes. I've got the booby cut uh, ready to watch. That's uh, the one. That's the one. Because <laughs> if Adrian if Adrian Barbeau is going to show uh, those fun bags. There's yep. no way in hell I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch it. You got to watch it, dude. Got to watch it. I've got to I've got to do it. Maybe this weekend. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe you're doing it right now. Who knows? Maybe I'm. <laughs> you, you, you might end up with the case of swamp ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Um, what are there any other return movies you want to quickly mention? Well, yes, I remember you guys some time ago were talking about Vanilla Ice's movie Cool as Ice. Remember that movie? 
Yeah. Now, I'm just thinking, imagine if they gave Mark Morrison a chance to make a feature film and had done the return of the Mac movie. How good would have that been? <laughs> that would be amazing. It would be great. Isn't he, is, he in, is he in prison now? Is that what's well, happened to Mark Morrison? I don't know. That, that, would make an interesting, that would make an interesting sort of sub-story within the, the greater plot. Maybe it could be like 8 Mile. It could be kind of semi-autobiographical. <laughs> and it features a lot of like prison sex. Do you remember that TV series that we watched? I think I think it was in New Zealand, the uh, Turn It Up Charlie with Idris Elba. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a DJ. That, that's yep. what the that's what the Mac Morrison return should the return of Dude. the Mac should be, where he's like he's someone's babysitter. Like the first four episodes of that series is him babysitting a little girl, like a like a rock movie. That would be amazing, uh, like Tooth Fairy or or, or uh, Game Plan. Yes, and then yes. Uh, the next four episodes is him. Uh, uh, becoming popular as a, I don't even like, yeah, as a nostalgia act, I guess. Like, yeah, what would yeah. He, well, maybe what, that's what kind it. Of music, uh, he could be doing those R and B tours, you know, like with yeah. um, Salt and Pepper, Boys to Men, and yeah, and Boys to Men, and certain acts like a Bell Beep DeVogue Bel, and things Bel like Beep that. Bell Beep DeVogue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a gangster. <laughs> but yeah, that I would Return of the Mac. It's written itself. I will go see that movie. <laughs> I'm completely surprised neither neither one of you have mentioned uh, Return to the Blue Lagoon. Speaking of like sex pests <laughs> yeah, and perverts, <laughs> was it was it Mila Jovovich that's in? Yeah, it is. And yeah. Brian Krause. Yeah. That's right, Brian Krause. That's right, Brian Krause. Yeah, because he <laughs> did that Return just prior to Sleepwalkers, didn't he? It was like probably a year or two before or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't think I don't think you get to see their full kits compared to the first one. Right, right. There's a weird discovering masturbation sequence, but it's pretty tame. <laughs> pretty tame. In comparison it's... to, uh, <laughs> to the, original uh, the original paradise. But, but Brian Krause has always been, like I was. I would say he was the TV version of, uh, was it, who's, who's the guy in the original? It's uh, Scott... Um, Atkins? Is it Scott Atkins <laughs> no. from the pirate movie? No, no he's only like biblical that, so Chris, films. Christopher. Christopher Atkins. Christopher, Christopher Atkins. Yeah. But, but oh, he's yeah, not. Yeah. He's actually the TV version... He is the TV version of the TV version of uh, of Blue Lagoon, yes. which is Paradise. Yes, with yes. Willie Ames. Yes. How do you? Be, how can you be the TV version of Willie Ames? Well, that's Brian Krause. Yeah, but you know Brian what? Um, Return to the Blue Lagoon also has Gus Bacurio in it, so you know it ain't all bad. Now, hang on. So, that was true. Return to the Blue Lagoon was that shot here in Australia? Because if it's yeah. got, yeah, cool. Because I I know that Vincent Monton, the director of Point of No Return, he shot second unit stuff on that film and i'm like it's not like anyone's flying vincent monton around the world to go he'd be really good at second unit not not cinematographer but second unit so that makes a lot of sense right well we like return to nim island that was shot here in australia as well so we seem to be like a, a, a good spot for these return to movies return to snowy river which one return to snowy river return to snowy river that's what the americans called the man from snowy river Two. The part two. That's what they called it. Yeah, part two. Holy yeah. Shit. The Disney no Disney release. Crazy, crazy. I got a snazzy version of that on VHS and a nice blue cover that's on sale for eBay for any of the listeners in there. Collect VHS <laughs> and like Man from Snow River Part Two. What's happening, everybody? It's Gidema here again from ScreenRealm.com. Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Let's talk a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Idris Elba taking on a lion. That's right, Elba will be facing off against the King of the Jungle in an upcoming survival thriller called Beast, set to be directed by Everest and to Gunt Helmer Balthazar Komakur. 
Plot details are still under wraps for the most part, although reports are that the film will be tonally in the vein of Blake Lively vs Shark movie The Shallows, the difference here, Elba will be vs a lion. The screenplay will be coming by Ryan Eagle whose credits include Dwayne Johnson monster pick Rampage and Liam Neeson flicks The Commuter and Nonstop. Icelandic filmmaker Cormac Cruz certainly knows his way around survival stories, having tackled high peaks with Everest and oceans with Adrift and The Deep. Moonlight and If Bill Street Could Talk director Barry Jenkins has been chosen to direct a prequel to The Lion King, the 2019 CG redo that grossed the studio a whopping 1.65 billion US at the worldwide box office. Barry Jenkins will be working from a screenplay by Jeff Nathanson who penned the first film. The first draft has already been handed in. The film is to be a prequel, Deadline reporting that the story will further explore the mythology of the characters including Mufasa's origin story. This still untitled prequel will reportedly again be crafted using the same photoreal tech that director John Favreau employed for The Lion King and The Jungle Book. Still no word on when production will begin, but Disney is said to be looking to tackle this one ASAP. Now here's one that movie buffs should take note of, Jake Gyllenhaal and Oscar Isaac will be making a classic piece of cinema in Francis and the Godfather, an upcoming true story film from director Barry Levinson, known for Rain Man, Bugsy, among many other films. In what already sounds like quite the winning film, Francis and the Godfather will find Oscar Isaac playing director Francis Ford Coppola and Gyllenhaal will be playing producer Robert Evans, who clashed and were met with all manner of hurdles to make what would become a screen classic, 1972's The Godfather. Godfather. The film will be looking at the Godfather's bumpy ride to fruition, with a 31 at the time Coppola and once actor turned Paramount Pictures head of production Evans tackling problems with the budget, real life mobsters who didn't want their exploits depicted on screen and the casting. Marlon Brando who ended up winning an Oscar for the role was actually considered a gamble at the time having gone quite a while without a hit. Coppola himself has given this planned film his blessing saying any movie that Barry Levinson makes about anything will be interesting and worthwhile. A strong trio have been lined up to star in Spiderhead, an upcoming Netflix film from director Joseph Kosinski, known for Tron Legacy, Oblivion and Only the Brave. Chris Hemsworth, Miles Taylor and Journey Smollett, known for Lovecraft, Country and Birds of Prey, will be starring in an adaptation of a short story by George Saunders titled Escape from Spiderhead. The plot is set in the near future and follows two prisoners who volunteer to be medical subjects in the hope of having their sentences reduced. In this facility run by a brilliant visionary, they are tested with drugs containing emotion altering chemicals that force them to grapple with their pasts. The short story is being adapted by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick who are known for Deadpool Zombieland and Life, but before we see what Kaczynski delivers on Netflix, we still gotta see what he does with Tom Cruise in the sequel Top Gun Maverick, which will also be starring Teller. And interestingly, Jamie Foxx is said to be returning to the Spider-Man world as Electro. After having played Electro in 2014's The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which wasn't very well received, although I kind of liked it, the actor is said to be in talks to reprise the role in the third Spider-Man film that's connected to the MCU. John Watts, who directed Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, is again in the director's chair, and a number of the previous cast members, including Zendaya, Marissa Tomei, and Tony Revolori, are expected to return as well. That about does it for me for another week, guys. Be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com. We've got plenty of reviews, trailers, much more news, as well as your latest streaming schedules. We've got October schedules for Netflix, Stan, Amazon, Shudder, Disney+. Plus. Go check it out. Thanks so much for having me. I'm out. I love the sound of breaking glass Especially when I'm lonely I need the noises of destruction
much fun is that song oh my god it's uh it's called i love the sound of breaking glass by nick lowe from the 1989 soundtrack to little monsters classic bloody classic (laughs) i thought you might say that uh so let's talk about flimsy uh segues i mentioned gene hackman before in passing when i talked about superman returns and given that i've already established that this is the episode of lousy segues let's talk about our favorite (laughs) gene hackman movies (laughs) Do you know, uh, Glenn, a, a woman once called me a flimsy segway. <laughs> <laughs> I, reckon, uh, I reckon Paul Blatt rides a flimsy segway. I missed that. I missed it. I missed it completely. It's not, I'm not not laughing because I didn't find it funny. I just didn't hear it. I heard, I, all I heard was Paul. And I'm like, I don't know any Pauls. Not any okay, let's, hey, here's, a, here's a game. Let's see if you can piece that together. You heard the word Paul and you heard the word segway. I was gonna say let's have let's have ten minutes of silence. No, I, I feel dumb now. All I can think of is chimpanzee riding on a segway. Chimpanzee riding on a segway. Bam, better bam, bam. You're so close, Paul Blart. Oh, Paul Blart, of course. Yes. Never seen it. Never seen it. Kevin yeah. James. Watched my first Kevin James film recently. Uh, <laughs> Becky, because he was playing against type. You've never seen Welcome to the Boom. No, and I haven't seen um, <gasps> That's Congratulations, a great movie. Chuck and Larry. Actually, congr- Congratulations, Chuck and Larry is the only... I now pronounce you. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Sorry. That and Just Go With It are the two, I think the only two Adam Sandler films I have never seen, which is saying something because I've seen, you know, I've seen some shit. I've seen some classics. I've seen some shit, but I haven't seen those two I films. I think I haven't watched anything since The Cobbler. And the I, Cobbler I, was good. I kind of enjoyed The Cobbler. Cobbler was good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, you got to yeah. watch... You gotta watch. Um, oh shit! I don't know. Maybe Spade maybe ones. don't watch any of them. The newer ones. How's the way? How's the way? Jarrett's completely hijacked this as if it's rewind and digress. Did <laughs> <laughs> we get on the topic of Adam Sandler again? <laughs> Poor Blart. Anyway, uh, Ben Ben actually thought this one would be a good idea to talk about Gene Hackman movies because you recently binged them. So, yeah. um, you want to go first, Jarrett? Okay, so Gene Hackman, I had been on a massive binge. I think I was, I think the last time I was on the Good Movie Monday podcast proper, like actually on the podcast in the studio chatting with Keith and yourself, was like episode three or four. And that's when I was, I had just been in this massive Gene Hackman binge. And now it's just spiraled throughout the year as I've tried to see everything. And I feel like I've still only got close to about a third to half of his films. Guys made a lot of movies, but. I've got five favorites and I'll, I'll rattle one off and then maybe, you know, you guys can tell me one of your favorites. So I'm going to start from right at the bottom from the early in his filmography. And I'm going to go with Scarecrow with Al Pacino from 1973 directed by Jerry Schatzberg, who directed the panic in Needle Park. And this is like a performance from Gene Hackman, like none other. It's a real character driven sort of performance where, you know, Gene Hackman can play Gene Hackman a lot of the time in the movies. This one, he mm. is such a defined kind of character um, almost like this kind of touch soul that's, you know, been in the war and hasn't really come out the other end quite right and has issues with anger management and that. And for Friends, 
you know, El Pacino by the side of the road, and begrudgingly so too, but they, they form an unusual bond. It's almost like Midnight Cowboy to, you know, an extent, but it is such an extraordinary film. And it's a film that I only actually saw maybe this year. Yeah, I think I only saw it this year, and I loved it. Like, I absolutely mm. loved it. It's just an extraordinary Have you guys ever seen Scarecrow? Yeah, it's great. No. Such a great Never movie. Dude, Ben, you're going to love it because it's it's perfectly 70s. Uh, you know, it's just, it's got a certain, it's part of that kind of feels like that American renaissance of, you know, the independent film um, that, you know, happened the late right. 60s into the 70s. It's 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 magnificent. Like, I, I when I watched it, I was like, where's this film been my entire life? And it actually showed me that Hackman was capable of doing, you know, bigger, different roles. And, and, and as yeah. I've gone further into the Hackman hole, uh, the Hackman wormhole, uh, not his anus. Um, I found that there, there are some other films that play against type for him. He's not always the, you know, um, curmudgeon sort of like old guy, you know, sort of. He's done some yep. different stuff here and there, even in the latter part of his career. Um, but yeah, what, what's one of you guys? What are one of your favourite Gene Hackman films? Well, Ben, do you want to you go first? Uh, look, sim- similar to you, Jared, I guess one of my uh, new favourite Gene Hackman films uh, is one that I think I only saw either this year or, or late last year, which is um, Arthur Penn's Night Moves. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> which is a, it's a great private detective movie. He plays Harry Mosby, a private detective who's been hired by this lush to find her runaway daughter played by a, I believe an underage Melanie Griffiths uh, in one of her very early roles. I think this and uh, she's basically playing the same character in this and uh, The Drowning Pool, which was a sequel to Harper, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago as uh, my film recommendation. I think. Um, and uh, he goes, so he goes to try and track her down and then all this kind of other stuff happens um, with these, uh, there's like some drug smuggling and some, uh, and he's like a, he runs into two kind of dueling movie stuntmen uh, and stuff. It's, it's super kind of tight, super taut. Um, and he plays, he plays a really kind of against type because he's kind of like a, he's not his usual Gene Hackman kind of tough. He's, uh, I mean, he is on the job, but in his personal life, he's completely, uh, in completely opposite, and his life's in a bit of a shambles. Uh, and he's going through, he's getting a, like having a real troubled marriage with his wife. Does he? He uh, walks. Does he walk in uh, on his wife at the beginning, and she's having an affair? She's having sex with another man or something? I can't remember. I don't know if he walks in on her. He confronts her because he, he he's, knows yeah. that she's having an affair, and then he. Uh, and she tells him it's over, and then he's following her. He, she wants to go to the movies, and he says, "That's no, right." She can't. goes to movies and, then, and lies about who she that, goes to the yeah, movies and, with that he's watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that, that guy. It's the guy that she's having an affair with. I, I had um, not seen this film until you recommended it to me. I remember us walking to Woolworths one day, funnily enough, in Brunswick, when you could um, walk in places that weren't five k from your house. And um, you were telling me about the film and I ended up ordering it from the States and it's an extraordinary sort of neo-noir kind of tale, like detective tale. It's pretty cool. Like it's, yeah, it's got a great sense of style. It's completely underrated. I'd never actually had even heard of this movie um, proper until you mentioned it. And I'm like, I couldn't remember what the VHS looked like in the day. Um, but yeah, I it's just, a really I, good Hackman role. The, the VHS. Oh shit, is... there you go. Like they did not do a, they did not do a great job no. of, of marketing. Even the movie poster, I think is it's, it's him kind of looking, he's looking through something like it's either like a glass bottom boat or, yeah. or something. It doesn't really do a great job of selling yeah. the film, unfortunately, but I 
off the top of my head, I could not think of a more appropriate poster image. Mm. Yeah, true. But, and uh, for the for the benefit of people listening to the podcast, Ben did hold up the cover yeah. to show Jared myself. <laughs> and it looked I great. Tried to, I tried not to dwell on it too long. Just, it was uh, just like a production still. It looks like a I mean, this production is, still where they've thrown the, some light on the face. Yeah. And this is, and he's holding a gun. So that really tells yeah. you all that yes. you need to know. This is the Video Gems cover. There probably is an original, probably is an earlier release uh, of this. Uh, With an equally I inspiring artwork on it. I forgot, yeah. I forgot that James, a very, very young James Woods uh, pops up in That's it. That's right, well. he is too. On the he's super he's young the, in it, yeah. Super he's one young. of the stuntmen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was um I was going to go with narrow margin at first because I've managed to fit Peter Hyam's name into the last what <laughs> three have, or four episodes, <laughs> um, but I didn't have time to revisit it and sort of be up to date with it. So I'm going to go with the French Connection two because I think this one has just a sheer audacity and I think you can't top such a seminal film. So I think the fact that they made him completely vulnerable and a heroin addict um is quite quite a performance i think the film itself is okay but the performance i think is outstanding it's really raw it's almost like an r-rated film uh and yeah just you know i do have a penchant for part two movies so i thought i'd just reel that one off pretty much as quick as the dead they might say ah yes well (laughs) i have that one coming up but before we get there Mississippi Burning, which you guys mentioned, I think Ben said they didn't realise it was an uh, Alan um, Parker film. Um, mm. But because, you know, you guys spoke about him, obviously, when he passed. Um, yeah. Another one of those performances I love from Hackman in this movie because he is a man that's at odds with his own, um, you know, sort of racial prejudice and everything else, you know, coming from where he is against Willem Dafoe, you know, another man that's coming from. Uh, you know, a place that's a little bit more civilised in regards to their, you know, beliefs and acceptance and multiculturalism. But Mississippi Burning is just like one of those films I remember I didn't actually see when it first came out on video, which is odd, but I probably wasn't, you know, didn't have a great deal of appeal for me as a seven or eight-year-old, eight-year-old I think it was. But I saw it at school when I was like 10 or something. You know, they showed it to us in like 1990 or something, which was really odd considering there's, you know, profanity and violence or whatever. But sometimes you get away with that sort of stuff. And um, I immediately loved it. And then from that point forth, having seen it, it, it's a tough watch because any film that involves sort of that racial divide in that era and the prejudice and, you know, just even that the opening of the movie is really hard to watch, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's very tense. But Hackman's fantastic in it. You know, it's a really incredible performance for him. And it's such a great film. And Alan Parker is such an underrated filmmaker. Um, yep. Very excited. Actually, just want to briefly mention something i just bought a blu-ray of an alan parker film that i've never seen but i'm almost 100 percent certain that glenn is a massive fan of this movie i, I just <laughs> never seen it and it wasn't until he passed that i realized i'm gonna have to watch this fucking movie the commitments oh jesus what no you've never seen, I've the, never commitments. seen the commitments i've got the blu-ray jesus now i've actually Christ. got it on dvd i've even got a vhs of it i've intended to watch it over time but for some oh, reason i, I don't know i think I think it'll be impossible for you not to like. I think you're gonna love like, it. I mean, I hope I haven't, I hope I haven't spoiled it. But and look out for for a very young uh, Andrea Core, oh, really? uh, the cause. I think wow. I think the whole family pops in there. The brother definitely does. Glenn she Hansard. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a great movie. Like, yes, uh, it's really really entertaining. Yeah, I've got to do it. I I remember you guys rattling off the Parker films and that, and I went, oh, you know what? I probably need to watch the commitments and. I think I was buying, um, upgrading the DVD to Blu-ray of The Crying Game. 
And then I was like, hang on, I'm going to get my Irish on. And uh, then I saw the commitments and I was like, yep, i got to get that and I'm going to watch it this time, you know. Otherwise, it means I've owned it on three formats and never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the intention once was again, always there. Um, congratulations to Jarrett for hijacking this, the show <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> See, you didn't so, even need to plan any padding. I, I come fully padded. <laughs> I think it's about time we throw across to those boys in Kentucky and have a listen to this week's fun size. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Today, we're going to shit all over the worst 90s scream ripoff films. Right, gentlemen? Yeah. So, sure. yeah, and so to give a brief background, because I know we yeah. only have five minutes, Scream was a big, big hit. It, it revitalized the horror genre, but what people didn't realize at the time is Wes Craven was parroting horror films. And he revitalized the slasher genre, which we were all kind of sick of shit of in the first place. Yeah, and, and then, then they brought got it, a ton of more slasher films. And then they brought it back in a bunch and we oh, mean a bunch, bunch, people. Oh, my God. Took the Wes Craven formula and tried to make a serious horror film, which you can't do when it's a freaking parody. And the worst offender of this, Dimension, who made Scream. So I'm going to go off and really give you mine. Mine came out in 1999. I saw this piece of shit in the theater. I thought, oh, my God, this will be funny. It's a horror comedy. God, no. God, no. I haven't seen it since. And for some odd reason over the last 21 years, I think it has a bit of a cult following, and I don't know why. And I just really don't want to go back and rewatch it. And plus, I hate Devin Sawa. We're talking about 1999's Idle Hands. A teenage slacker's right hand becomes possessed with a murderous intent. So basically, this whole fucking movie is about five minutes in the Evil Dead 2. And then they stretched it for an hour and They stretched it for an hour and a half. Yeah, sure, it has a decent cast. Seth Green's got a few good jokes. Uh, Eldon Henson, Jessica Alba's in it, Vivica A. Fox. There's one good joke in the whole movie. I remember it vividly. The one girl gets chopped up in the fan, and one of the guys goes, oh, look, you can finally get a piece. That's yeah, that's about it. That's it. But for some odd reason, this movie, I have seen it on some of the discussion boards, is remembered fondly. I don't know why. It's dog turd. Chad. Okay, so I'm actually going to do I, I'm going to do a double because the simple fact is they took an iconic character simply because he has a white face just like the character in Scream. They're like, "Well, let's redo him." I'm talking about the double feature of Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. They are complete Scream ripoffs. Yes, they are. Not only are they Scream ripoffs, they are poor imitations of not only Scream, the Halloween series in total, which is why we got the Rob Zombie Halloween, in my opinion. They're like, okay, we messed up ter terribly. Let's Rob Zombie take it. And about half of that's okay. Yeah, well, actually, the Rob Zombie movies, we've talked about this before when we yeah. did our extensive Halloween episode. I actually, I like the part of Rob Zombie's Halloween that isn't the remake of Carpenter's. Yes, and I agree with you on that. I don't. I'm, do I disagree that we shouldn't know Michael's backstory? Probably not. But if you're going to do it, that's probably he did the right thing. He did the right thing. But right. Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection are dog turds that should never have existed. They're awful. They're awful. You know, the best part of uh, Halloween Resurrection is is it Busta Bust, Rhymes? Busta Rhymes. He's awful, and he's the best part. Yeah, there's, there, those movies should not exist. James, what's yours? Since we're doing this for an Australian audience, I think we should give it a little bit of international credit. It's a movie that you just can't get out of your head because it stars Kylie Minogue, and you can't get her out of your head. As in, cut the film, turn it off, make it stop. 
Uh, this film is, uh, Australian audiences, you may know it better than most American audiences do, but it stars Molly Ringwall and Tally Mignette. I'm getting tongue tied on her name. And it's, uh, it's basically about they're filming a bad B-horror movie and then things go sideways because they fire the actor and he loses his mind. And then later on, they go on to tell people about, you know, what happened. And then bad things start happening. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just back. killing no. time. No, it is exactly. Every, believe, have you seen Cut? No. No. No, I'm telling you what happens in Cut. Five out of ten rating on IMDb. But Cut does not exist without Scream. It plays with all the horror tropes of, oh, they're filming a horror movie and now bad stuff starts to happen. There you mm-hmm. go. And people get fired, and then years later, and then, spoiler, at the end, it sets itself up for a sequel, so we may still see Cut 2. Cut 2, ha! Huh? Anyway, um, uh, it, it, they, they show a rough cut of the, of the cursed film, and, and the, the, the villain comes out of the print. And, and the reason that turned out so bad is because Kylie Minogue, the whole time during shooting, kept yelling, I was in Biodome! That's been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Please send all your hate mail to Glenn. Those Kentucky boys must have been drinking far too much moonshine. Jesus Christ. Idle Hands. Bloody hell. Idle Hands is a stone cold classic to quote Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right, man. Oh, and how dare they slag off cut. Come on. It's It's our beloved. It's an Australian treasure. (laughs) But don't they know that we've got a public holiday every year in Australia where we all sit down and watch cut and celebrate by having a meat pie and patting our kangaroo? Listening to a bit of Kylie Minogue. Don't they know the director? The director is a friend of the show. Exactly. Yeah, it's, and it's part of the it's part of the Kylie Minogue trilogy of sample people and the delinquents. Yes. Uh, and, oh, actually, the quadrilogy because uh, you got to stick uh, uh, Street Fighter in there as yes. her greatest cinematic achievement. Hang on. You... Outside of the Biodome. Well, she's actually had it. Let's do a whole episode on Kylie Minogue films because <laughs> she's actually had a pretty good run. She's had a good filmography. If I can speak on behalf of Jared, I think the pinnacle was the delinquents because you got to see her boobies. Yes, I saw it. I saw it theatrically. That movie, Charlie Schluter, was it? The guy that played opposite yeah. her. Schluter, yeah. yeah. Schluter, that's it. He From was in. All... He was in eighteen again with Edward Bur- Edward Burns. What was his name? Not Edward Burns. George, George Burns. Burns. George Burns. <laughs> oh God. And he was in. He yeah. was in uh, All American Murder with Christopher Walken and Josie Bissett from Television's Melrose, Melrose Place. Place. And wasn't yes. he in Ferris Bueller, the TV series? Was he Ferris Bueller? He's in Diagnosis yes. Murder, the TV series. He is actually, yeah, that's right, because he's he plays opposite Dick Van Dyke in it. Yeah, so he's yeah. had a pretty good career, but he's the kind of name that you could say and no one knows who you're talking about. You're like, oh yeah, Charlie Schluter, Schluter. Well, I was going to suggest we get him on the show, but I also tell upcoming guests to listen back on other episodes to get a get the hang of it. So I'm not I'm not going to do that now. So thanks, Jarrett. Sorry. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week, I will be recommending The Place Beyond the Pines, a film that was definitely in my top three movies of 2012. Now, this movie has a stacked cast. It has everyone from your boy, Bradley Cooper, Ryan Gosling, Eva Mendes, dual Academy Award winning Mahershala Ali is even in here as well. So why did you miss it? Because a lot of people did, uh, you know, but that is, you can rectify that mistake because it is on stand right now. What is The Place Beyond the Pines? It is a crime story. It is a triptych. It is novelistic. It is atmospheric. This movie is, uh, it's, it starts 
on Luke Lanton, played here by Ryan Gosling. And we follow him in this incredible one take until he gets on his motorbike and he goes into a dome of death. And this movie keeps that tension basically for the entirety of its runtime. It focuses on two men who are on different sides of the law and how their lives interconnect. And ultimately, I think that it's tremendous in the emotion that it achieves. Um, I've always liked Derek C in France. Some people think he's a bit of a miserablest for what he goes with. He did Blue Valentine as well. He did I Know This Much Is True as well, which recently picked up an award for Mark Ruffalo at the Emmys. But I like his kind of heightened emotional drama that he's going for here. He films in an incredible way too as well. The bank robbery scenes in this film are all timers for me. I find them so tense. I'm just gripping onto the couch. And he does this thing too as well where he leans into effortless cool. I mean, Ryan Gosling is the master of on-screen minimalism at the moment, and I don't think he's ever been cooler on-screen than he is in this movie. It's also got a pop-up cool performance by Ben Mendelsohn, who's everyone's now favorite actor. We always knew he was good, but now Americans do too. So Place Beyond the Pines, if it's a, you know, if it's a crime movie that you're after that has maybe just you know escaped your reach, go and check this one out on stand. Five stars for me because of its novelistic approach and its unconventional storytelling. I think it's incredibly memorable. Go and check it out. Hey guys, we have uh, we have two uh, we have a John Claude Van Damme double feature to give away this week. Uh, so if you can identify the movie advertised earlier in that TV spot, uh, you can uh, you can win copies of two brand new releases from Eagle Entertainment. We have We Die Young, which Ben and I discussed on last week's Spitball video, and Blackwater, co-starring Dolph Lundgren. And uh, all you have to do is send your answers to Glenn at fakeshemp.net. But do get in quick because um, we get lots of responses every week and they go pretty fast. So if you didn't win on the previous episodes, just keep trying. It's just a matter of first cab off the rank. Uh, and because Eagle are so generous to us here, we thought um, may, may as well give them a bit of a plug. So visit eagleentertainment.com.au and check out their wicked catalogue of films. You can actually buy directly from their website too. Uh, so now, guys, it's time for recommendations. And um, let's bring the show home with a couple with a few doozies. Um, Who's going to go first? Jarrett? I've got go. one. I've got one. Um, my recommendation is a Gene Hackman film from uh, 2000 <laughs> because I can't get him off my mind. Is, you know, is that the Kylie Minogue song? Is that Can't Get You Off My Mind? Benjamin? Can't get you out of my mind. I oh, can't get you out of my mind. My no, out, of my, out of my head. Out of my out head. Of my head. Right, yeah, right. Okay, head. sorry. And you, anyway, you can't get Jarrett that. out of Gene Hackman's hole. <laughs> no, I'm so deeply in it. It's just impossible. I can't even see any light anymore. Um, so Under Suspicion, it's from 2000. Now, this film is actually directed by Stephen Hopkins. Now, you'd know that name from Predator 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. And what was the that? showrunner of 24? Exactly, yeah. So Stephen Hopkins had an amazing sort of career. But this is this is from 2000, sort of in between those two sort of eras where he was a film, you know, major film director and a major TV property entity, what you want to call it. Under Suspicion is a cool film with Morgan Freeman, and it's this constant shift of power between a detective interviewing, and the detective's played by Morgan Freeman in this case, and not Gene Hackman, interviewing this sort of wealthy, um, sort of figure. I think, I don't know if he's a politician. Um, I always get this film, I haven't watched it for a little while, confused with a Clint Eastwood film where Gene Hackman yes, plays the bad guy as well. The, in he's a, the and president a, in that one. He's, he's the, president. the president. He's the president in the, in the United in the... States. Yeah. And Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because Clint Eastwood sees a little bit too much, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, Under Suspicion is like a really powerhouse performance from Gene Hackman because you see all these sides of him. Um, you can. It's so hot in this movie. It's set in the South. You can feel like the sweat off, you know, everyone's brow. Like it's, it's like do the right thing. You know, one of those films you watch 
you could watch it in the middle of winter and you'll be sweating up a storm. Um, it's just a really good thriller. And who else? Monica Bellucci's in it as well. So it's a great cast. And it's one of those films that I had never really even thought about watching until I saw it turn up in a secondhand store. It might have been like a Salvo's or something back when we were allowed to visit stores. And I saw it for two bucks. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to watch this Gene Hackman film. And I watched it that night and I was completely blown away. I was like, this is great. It's such a, you know, unsung gem. I always felt that that one was career. really. I always felt that one was really undersold because the cover mm. art on the VHS was terrible. It was. Was it? Is was it the three sort of strip the lunges stripes, with yeah. faces or something? And it's like, yeah, yeah it's just so not compelling yeah. at all. I mean, it's it's probably a difficult film to sell because essentially it's like a David Mamet sort of thing where it's like I was going to say it was presented drama. as a yeah as a Mamet Mamet esque thriller, Absolutely. which I always I always thought it was very similar to Just Cause yes, with Sean yeah. Connery yeah, and, and Lawrence and, Fishburne. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, yeah, 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 and that's also set in the south, and everything—it's all sweaty. Oh and, god, yeah. Uh, like you kind of like I I, I I generally don't like sweaty movies because I hate that feeling. Yeah, and you're like, why yeah. is it like like for years I refused to watch Strange Days because I thought yes. they're all so swe- like Ray Fiennes is so sweaty <laughs> and they're so movie. sweaty on the poster as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, you, may, you must hate the saxophone guy in Lost Boys. I <laughs> know oh, that's that's not that's not sweat that's baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> he chose. He chose to be that. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ben? What have you got? Uh, well, this week, uh, I, I actually only just recently watched, I picked up the Blu-ray a little while ago from, uh, I believe, Indicator or Powerhouse. Uh, and it is uh, Paul Schrader's uh, Blue Collar. Right. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this one. I've never I seen it. Um, it is, it is a, it's a really good, it's a really good film. Um, it's about, it stars Harvey Keitel, and uh Yafet Kodo uh and uh and uh I've now forgotten his name but we just we literally just talked about him uh five minutes ago uh Gene uh, Hackman no Richard Richard Pryor <laughs> Richard Pryor <laughs> oh Richard Pryor and they, wow. Richard Pryor and it was, I think it was one of his first first films um they're three auto plant workers uh and but they're all getting they're getting screwed they each one of them have different financial problems and they're all uh, in trouble. Well, actually, Yefet Kodos, he's the only, he's the kind of cool uh, ex-con kind of character in the in the kind of group. And he, you know, they don't really go into his backstory, except that he was an ex-con. But both Harvey Keitel and Richard Pryor family guys who have these like massive financial pressures and they're getting screwed at work. They've got an asshole kind of foreman in there. The job sucks. They are, they've got an asshole foreman and the union who are supposed to be on their side are kind of screwing them over. So um they kind of come up with this plot to rob the union uh, because uh, Richard Pryor notices that they don't bother locking the safe that they have in the office ever. And when they do, they bust in there. There's literally only $500 in the safe. So they've done all this work for nothing, but when they get out the next day, the union kind of announces that $10,000 has gone missing. And uh, so then Ah. the heat kind of ratchets up. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's a, it's, like a so, phenomenal so of... was there a robbery before them? No, 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 no. The the union are literally just trying to milk the insurance, right? And but then and they keep upping it every time they talk to the press. The money that's gone yep. is is up, and there's but then there's also these kind of things in the background about how mobbed up the union is, and uh, and then there's a really weird like there's a I mean it's definitely a Paul Schrader film. There's a really weird orgy scene where. <laughs> Richard Pryor and Harvey Cartel sneak out on Ooh. their wives and families and they go around to Yefet Kodo's place where he's got these three 
uh, lovely women and a whole bunch of cocaine and they just have this group orgy and it is one of the most while they're discussing the robbery in front of these these the women and stuff it is it's just this amazing sequence in the film and then it, richard, is, it is really richard, good richard Pryor ends up running down the street on fire <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh good one man that's a that's a true recommendation because yeah, you know yeah. Only one out of three of us have seen it, but I was torn this week between a cheesy B-movie creature feature and a hardcore rape revenge film. <laughs> so I, I took to Facebook last week uh, and asked people what I should do. And Jan Miller, who's one of our loyal listeners, was the first to jump in and just declared rape revenge. So that's, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend the, uh, the brutal 2007 film Straight Heads, starring Gillian Anderson and Danny Dyer. And this was released in America as Closer. And it tells the story of a husband and wife that uh, their car hits, I think, a deer on the side of the road. And whilst they're stranded, a- another car of three blokes rocks up and they beat Danny Dyer almost to death. And then they just brutally gang rape Gillian Anderson. And then it cuts to three months or so later when these two husband and wife are recovering. And then they, they strategize a plan to sort of seek an exact really brutal revenge on these guys. And it is brutal. It is a really, really... It's an, I think it's an R-rated film. I've got an MA release in Australia, but it is just so full on. And um, what I love about it, it has just so much complexity to it. There's all these sort of various moral quandaries and dilemmas going on under the surface. And particularly Gillian Anderson is amazing. She's the one that was violated the most, but she's the one that's sort of struggling to come to terms with doing something to her, her attacker. Uh, just, yeah. Really, really cool. And it was directed by Dan Reed. And he's the guy that made Finding Neverland, that Michael Jackson documentary. So oh, wow, looking at some of that, yeah, yeah. If you go back and look at his yeah. catalog, he, he kind of has a penchant for this type of subject matter. So I guess it's right. something that's very personal to him. Yeah, right. I, I, you actually right. gave me a copy of that, funnily enough, on DVD. Um, yeah. And I watched it. But yeah, it was, it was pretty heavy duty. But it was one of those films where despite the somewhat graphic nature of the you know sexual assault at the beginning uh the revenge makes up for it it's not one of those movies where you spend like two-thirds of the movie watching the rape and then you get about a one-third retribution it was Mm. like really evenly handled and the retribution was well worth it you're just like yeah fuck it yeah yeah." (laughs) Yeah. cheering along like it's a football game or something you know get that revenge and the movie Do it, plows Scully. along. It's, it's, it's like a freight train, man. It's only 80 minutes long and it just yeah. moves from A to B really, really quickly. But um, anyway, so there we go. Three recommendations for everybody. And that's about it. Well done, lads. It's been a good one. That brings us right to the end. Fantastic. Excellent. Yes, Jarrett, it's been it's been freaking great having you back on, man. It feels like old times. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Like, I love listening to the podcast of a Monday slash Tuesday. Sometimes when it goes a bit over time, I have to split it between two days. Uh, <coughs> um, ben, it's, it's like I'm hanging out. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like I'm hanging out with you guys. A, you know, it's like the being... podcast is always an easy hour and a half. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's good. It's it's like you got your your friends in your ears, you know, and you're out and about. So it's always good. I love having a chuckle. Yeah, no, it's always it's always a great listen. So it's really cool to be involved uh, uh, with you guys thanks, on the show. So thank you. And you're going to be lovely. back in a few weeks for our Monster Fest meets Halloween episode. So I can't yes, wait certainly. for that one. And um, as always, cheers to you, Ben. Tidy work, mate. Thank you very much. And of course, we must also tip our hats to Guillermo from Screen Realm, Adam from Adam's Just Seen. And as well as Joe, Chad, and James from Bonehead Weekly. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We have a lot of fun, and thanks for listening. Your support is immeasurable to us, and 
we are obviously indebted to you for it. So thanks again. Uh, if you're bored this Wednesday night, you can join us on the Good Movie Monday Facebook page for a live watch party. Last week we gave it a test run and sort of we played a string of old trailers and we're going to do it again this week. So if you're around, jump on the uh, Facebook page of Good Movie Monday and engage with us in some nerdy cinematic ramblings. It's a whole lot of fun. But for now, it's time to go. So to cap off our Gene Hackman conversation, we're going to leave you with uh, a song from the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. It's called These Days. It's by Nico. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next episode.
I go at walking. I don't do too much talking these days. Sometimes I like to think about all the things that I forgot to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs>